M and K Talk YA now presents A Gathering of Shadows, Part 1 of the Shades of Magic Trilogy by V.E. Schwab. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast, where we talk about young adult fiction. <laughs> and this week, we are starting the second book in the Shades of Magic trilogy by V.E. Schwab. It's called A Gathering of Shadows. We read up to part six, which is called Imposters. So we read the first five parts. Yep. I like the way this book has parts and chapters. Yeah, I do too. I feel like it's like these nice little goals, but like also easy to read just a chapter when I have a few minutes. Yeah, because the chapters are short mm-hmm. and the parts aren't very long either. So it's it's easy to be like, just one more, just one more. And <laughs> yeah, then you're done. <laughs> I've run into that problem a lot. I've, I've been bringing it in the car with me. So like if I arrive early to something, I like read in the car. Oh, <laughs> like that's one smart. chapter. Um. I do a lot of reading on the shuttle, on the or on the L train and on the shuttle, and it's really getting hard with daylight savings time because it's oh yeah dark now, and so I have to like use my phone as a flashlight so I can read my book on the dark shuttle, and then I feel kind of like a crazy person. You need a headlamp because <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be crazy at all. <laughs> I love headlamps. <laughs> Have you ever seen that funny meme about there's like a dad who's in one of those, I think it's like Hollister, Abercrombie and Fitch, like one of those stores that are super dark and he he was looking at clothes and he had a headlamp on <laughs> while he was looking at clothes. I did not see that, but that I appreciate. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, this book, um, I'm really into this book. I like it more than the first one. Really? Oh, okay. Well, Yeah. I guess I agree, too, because we have so many new characters, and they're all really cool. And I'm loving all this pirate stuff, obviously. I know. Lila is finally a pirate. I know. It's awesome. I'm very excited for her. And she's reminding me even more of, uh, no, I can't think of her name, from Six of Crows. Oh, oh, oh. Inej. Inej. (laughs) She's reminding me more and more of Inej as the story goes on, even though she's also, like, a lot darker than Inej in a lot of ways. But even her nickname about... um, the sorrows or whatever mm-hmm. i love how she has that yeah because she's like a rave now exactly. kind of like inej yep but she doesn't have quite the same moral compass that inej does no she has no moral compass at all i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> and that's the one thing that like really makes me dislike lila i hate how she just does things she does whatever she wants with no regard to anyone else and it's really an unattractive quality i have to say Yeah, and even the way that, like, the fact that she's developing friendships and loyalty and feeling part of the community, like, for no other reason than the fact that she's feeling that way, she feels the need to push back against it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a negative without, you know, something else being a negative. Yeah, like, she's afraid of friendships and kindness because she hates owing people so much. Yeah, although uh, Alucard Emery did not help anything (laughs) by... (laughs) tricking her trying to trick her into telling him all of her secrets when he kissed her yeah that came out of nowhere yeah and I didn't like how she also there was like that one scene where she stole someone's purse and then he came after her and then she killed him and I was just like what 
Like, you're just killing indiscriminately now. Like, he didn't... The only reason he came after you was because you stole his purse and you're just... And you just killed him with, like, no thought at all. I don't know. I dislike that. Yeah. And she just, like, whatever that saying she keeps saying, you know, I go out looking for trouble instead of waiting for it to find me. But, like, it really seems like the only point is to find trouble. It's not mm-hmm. to pursue some higher objective and not worrying about trouble or it bringing her trouble. She, It's, like, trouble right. for the sake of trouble. Because <laughs> she's not even stealing to stay alive for, right now. She's she She's stealing just for the thrill of it. It's annoying. But let's talk about Alucard Emery. (laughs) Okay, let's. He's my new favorite. Same here. Same here. Although I have to say, I really do not like his name. Okay. Why not? Because, okay, so Alucard. So that's like, that is a name that is pretty, I'm going to say it's pretty famous, but like, it's a very well-known name because it's like... Uh, it's from a, man- like a manga series, the Helsing manga series, where he- he's the vampire. Because Alucard is Dracula spelled backwards. Oh, I never, I didn't even know that. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. And then also, like, I don't know if you've ever played Castlevania, the video game. I have not. Oh, it's also like a Netflix show now, which is really good. But it's based off of the video game. And Alucard is the son of Dracula in Castlevania. And it's Dracula spelled backwards. So I just... I really don't like that the author used the name Alucard without it being associated with Dracula in some way. Or vampires. Or maybe I find it maybe it will be as we go on in the series somehow. Oh, maybe he'll be a vampire pirate? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really seeing that happen, but maybe. Maybe I'm not seeing it either. So, wait, so you know how they say he's a triad or whatever? He has um, yeah. mastery of three elements. Do mm-hmm. we know what the three are? Did I miss that part? I don't, re- I don't remember that. I don't remember them saying that. I wonder if maybe one of them is like... Blood. Blood or bone or something more. Oh, yeah, because bone is one of the elements, not blood. Maybe. I don't I mean, maybe she'll tie in a vampire. But it doesn't feel really relevant to this world. It doesn't feel right. And it, yeah. to me, it's like if someone used the name Frankenstein in a book, and they were like, this. I have a character named Frankenstein, but it had nothing to do with Frankenstein's monster... Or that story, it would just, it would be the same kind of, like, jarring disconnect for me. Yeah. At the very least, like, address why it's not, like, address it somehow. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. But, yeah. Well, because it's like, do they, in this world, like, this is a second world fantasy. This isn't our world. So, in this world, do they know about Dracula? Like, is that a thing? Is, I, I don't know. Does he exist in their world and they named him after? I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like they did, but. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't like his name. But I really like him. He's all sorts of awesome. He is. And he's so perceptive. But I'm really curious why Kel, obviously, there's some history between the two of them. Yeah. That is negative. And I'm really curious to get the story there and see them interact for the first time. Like, I wonder if we're going to find out that he's actually not a good guy. (laughs) Do you have any theories about that? Because Rye had a reaction, too. And, like, Master Tyrion was the one who brought it up, and he was like, I wanted to show this to you before you saw it, because I saw his name here. And Rai was, like, reacting oddly, and Tyrion was like, oh, here, I thought you'd be happy. And then Kel was like, I can't wait to take him down in this tournament and set fire to his ship. Like, he was, really seems like he dislikes him. So, what are your theories? Yeah, I don't know. It's because I'm struggling with, he's a privateer, so he's employed by the government. So some of my original theories were that he was somehow involved in the original kidnapping of Rye or something. But then I was like, the king would never hire him if that had been true. No. 
And we think that um, Kel got his revenge on them already. But that was my, that was like the only thing I could think of that we know about where Kel has like a really negative, you know, history with someone that that I could think of. So I don't really, I don't really know, but I think there's definitely something there. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think I was kind of struck whenever Master Tyrion was like, I thought you'd be happy about this. And then Rai was kind of pouting and he was like, oh, the whims of the of the youth are lost on me or something like that. And mm-hmm. so I thought maybe Alucard and Rye had some kind of relationship mm-hmm. prior and that maybe ended badly. And that why that was why Kel reacted that way because he's, you know, as we know, he's like fiercely protective of his younger brother. And so I thought maybe something happened where like, I don't know, they had some kind of love affair and it ended badly and... Now he's back, and Rye is kind of, like, kind of excited to see him again, but not also thrilled, and Kel is just, like, out for revenge. That's what I kind of thought, like, a lover's tryst. Yeah, I could see that a little bit. I just, I don't know if I get that impression from Alucard that he's... Oh, see, I thought he was. That there's some relationship pulling him back, necessarily, or I don't know. The only thing that made me think of that was when, remember whenever he talked to Lila and and she, and he was like, spend the nights with me and I will, I'll teach you magic or whatever. But he was like, spend the nights with me. And she was like, the crew will think that you're sleeping with me. And he was like, trust me, they won't think that. That's true. And then I was like, oh, maybe he's saying that, you know, he prefers the company of men. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. That's fair. I just, I'm like convinced it has something to do with when he was uh, in chains and switched from pirate to privateer but maybe i mean that could all still be related maybe it was maybe he got maybe he was in a relationship with rye and that's how he got the privateer job or maybe i don't know yeah i'm really i hope we see more about what happened because that story too about how he was a pirate and you know was captured that was um an interesting kind of development and i thought it was i thought it was kind of interesting that he revealed that to lila because that was like a very personal I don't know it was like him being vulnerable and I he probably did it to open up to her and try and get her to reciprocate but um yeah I just wanted to learn more about that yeah he has a lot of secrets and he's really good at figuring out her secrets and I'm curious to see that whole relationship develop same here I don't know I I also I don't know I just like that there's a lot of diversity in this book mm-hmm. and I think that's really important in a YA series and I was I was reading a little bit about V.E. Schwab and I was listening to an interview and she basically said, uh, you know, if you are an author and you're creating a second world fantasy, so, you know, like a, a world that is not our own. And she was like, if you create a second world fantasy, then you control what is considered the social norms. You control what is commonplace. And she was like, if you create a world like this and then you fill it with straight white people, like that's on you. And mm-hmm. so I love that, like so far in the story, we have a, a like a bisexual prince, we have um, a royal family of color who are, they hold the highest position of power in their country, mm-hmm. and we have a woman who cross-dresses as a man. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really great that she chose to create a world that is more inclusive and just richer and more diverse. Yeah, it's also been interesting just to see the three different countries Oh yeah, in this version of London, and... I mean, I forget who it was that was even talking about it, but, like, the different way they treat magic, like, whether it's more of a religious view or, a, you know, just, like, their different relationships with magic is even unique in this world compared to, I think, the last book we were talking about, the four different Londons and how they viewed mm-hmm. magic. 
And then some right. of the different, you know, norms with, um, I forget now which country it is that Pharaoh, I think, where they like put the jewels on their faces and that's yeah. like a big piece of it. And, um, I don't know. It's just been kind of interesting to see within the same world, how these different people are interacting and you know what their history is. But I agree. No, I think the diversity in this version of London or this book in general has is, is been really good. I hope we see more of these different people from Pharaoh and Va- Vasque, I think is the other one, yep. for these elements games. Yeah, I can't wait for that to start. I know. What's it called? The Essentosh? I think so. <laughs> the Essentosh. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> difficult words to pronounce in this book. <laughs> I loved when you uh, sent me a text it was the chapter where we were introduced to Ajka or whatever her name is. Ojka. Ojka. And you were just like, I don't know how to pronounce this. And it was, I hadn't gotten there yet. And I was just like, well, I can't pronounce anything. So I'm You're like, screwed. I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could pronounce it Ojka. Okay. I'm going to forget o- that. Ojka. Yeah. I don't really know what she's all about, though. Cause I, I know. We haven't seen enough about her. But we do know that Holland is now king of White London. And seems to be like a really positive influence, but he made some deal with the magic guy, magic statue man, the Vatari Oh, yes, guy. yes, yes. That was kind of cool. So now we have, I feel like this guy, Osaron, mm-hmm. is going to be the new villain. Yep. But does that mean that Holland is also the new villain? That's a good question, because they're kind of, they're now bound to each other, which... They're like using Holland's body. <laughs> I felt bad for Holland. I know. I was kind of surprised that he made that deal a little bit because part of me thought what he wanted more than anything was mm-hmm. his freedom. So I almost expected him to pick freedom over... Power. Yeah. But we'll see how that... What, what happens there. I don't know if he would have been able to leave Black London if he hadn't made that deal, though. Because Osiris... I agree. So maybe it was just like a survival instinct kind of thing. Yeah. But I just kind of thought, like, in some ways he'd rather be dead than bound to someone else again. But I guess I was wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like... And it was also kind of sad when he was like... Um, he was like, okay, I'll use... I'll give you power if you let me use your body. And he was like... Yeah, but whose will is going to take over? And he was like, both of ours. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I can see how this is going to end. Yeah, how's that going to go? Yeah. But I guess that is still a little bit more freedom than the old situation. He had no, like, it was old. There was a hierarchy. It wasn't both. It was. That's true. He was just a slave. Yeah, yeah. I still kind of do miss the Dane twins, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've seen them kind of come back in nightmares. So both Rye and Kel are kind of having different nightmares right now. Oh, that's true. Speaking of bindings. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So they're linked so closely now. It's almost, Kel was kind of like it's becoming a chain more than a link. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost hurting their closeness, their relationship. Yeah, because they're starting, I mean, I can't imagine feeling everyone, another person's pain and also like their mood shifts. And and even like they had, they were experiencing each other's hangovers, which I thought was actually kind of funny. That was so funny. Well, it's just, it's also funny like now when they're like, oh, I'd stab you. And they're like, well, you'd feel it too. Or like, I, you know, I just, <laughs> yeah. or like I'd stab myself to make you, like just like some of the, like just imagining like brothers growing up who try to annoy each other or whatever. And then like. To be able to just, yeah, hurt yourself to hurt the other person or when you hurt the other person, it hurts you and like, I don't know. Well, yeah, even just like when he, when they snuck out of the palace and they were at that bar and then Rai disappeared and then Kel felt like that pain and he was like, oh my God, something's happened to him. And then he was just with like an over-enthusiastic lover. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And I was just like, that sucks that you are tied to this person now. And like, you're responsible for him essentially because his life is tied to you. And I just don't know how they're going to make it work. (laughs) Well, it's also funny because Rye is having such a hard time. Like, instead of being like, thanks for saving my life because I was actually dead. I feel like he's like, (laughs) ugh. (laughs) Now I can't, like, I'm, now I owe you my life and it doesn't, like, like, he's like just dealing with it in such a kind of funny way when you think about the fact that like the alternative was you're dead. (laughs) You're dead. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But then I always remember like when, when he was kidnapped, they said that he had like really bad PTSD from that, but it wasn't because he was kidnapped. It was because Kel slit his wrist trying to save him. Yeah. And so then I was like, I guess it's more just like they care about each other so much. Like they both feel responsible for each other now. And I don't know. It's just, I I guess it's kind of like the feeling of being a burden to someone you love and how painful that is. Yeah. And I think obviously it's a huge transition just in general. Like it makes sense that you'd have varying emotional reactions to (laughs) like that whole experience. But even having to like keep it a secret and the new like guards around and the already tense relationship between Kel and his quote unquote parents. (laughs) Yeah. And now the king doesn't trust him at all. Nope. And he's on even a shorter leash. I felt very I felt bad for him for that because it was it seemed like he already had a rocky relationship with the king and queen and now it's like I don't know now it's even worse and well it really doesn't feel like their family at all now right they don't treat him like a son anymore like not even the pretense of it yeah and what's really telling is because Rai is just as responsible for what happened as Kel because he was the one who accepted the pendant from Holland that allowed Astrid to possess everyone yep. and so it's just so sad that the king and queen blame Kel but still love their own son and it's I mean what a divide right there like how could you feel like a son if they're essentially picking one over the other well and also I mean yes Kel did some stuff that made bad things happen and he shouldn't have made some of those choices but he also I feel like fixed what he broke kind of like Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you were a good parent you have to recognize and like I don't know appreciate the growth and the fact that they like kind of cleaned up their mess and whatnot but I don't know I agree but apparently he didn't exactly clean up his mess or something isn't (laughs) completely cleaned up because Grey London is experiencing some magic or at least Ned is I know Ned our little enthusiast is back and White London is having its transformation also okay so Kel I guess went to White London after he defeated the twins Mm -hmm. and Holland hadn't come back and taken over yet. So are we to assume that Kel doesn't even know Holland is there? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think so. But I do love the idea of magic is coming back to gray London and like even white London, their like color is starting to infiltrate it again. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if in these books we'll see kind of an upheaval where like the cycle comes comes back around because they always say like magic is all about balance and it's all about um cycles and so i'm curious to know if red london is going to fall and maybe gray london will become magical again and maybe white london will become the most powerful country now yeah like if everything will reverse yeah but it's kind of scary to think of gray london with magic knowing who's now king oh yeah oh i feel bad that the king died I know, he was kind of a fun, like, yeah. He was just endearing. I actually, like, have a lot of respect for Ned, though, now, too. He's, like, really committed to his Mm -hmm. enthusiast ways. (laughs) Enthusiasm. (laughs) 
Yeah, and he, I like that he's not greedy about magic. He's just super curious. And he honestly, like, reminds me of us a little bit because he wants magic to be real so badly. Yeah. And he just, like, wants the world to be stranger. Yeah, and he believes that it could be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I hope we see more about him. Um, so did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. It's kind of like last week where I sort of kept going off on different tangents. <laughs> okay. That's kind of how mine went too. But I, I did a lot on like ship related things. So like how to survive a sinking ship. What, okay. what makes a privateer? What are the different flares that we use? But I think the most interesting things I, I looked at was 13 sailor superstitions. Oh, okay. I want to hear about the superstitions. Yeah. Well, one thing that I was thinking about before was we've talked about a little bit this idea that women are like bad luck at sea is something Mm -hmm. that we both, you know, have heard before. Um, But then also I thought it was interesting when whoever, I can't remember the name, whoever um, Lila killed at the beginning, they wouldn't bring the dead body onto the ship and she was like kind of taking note of that as a superstition. So I think one of the funniest ones that I found was you're not supposed to bring bananas on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why? So I guess back in the 1700s, when like Spain was taking over the Caribbean and whatnot, there were a ton of disappearing ships and almost all of them were carrying a cargo of bananas at the time. So they like became the superstition that like carrying bananas was bad luck. But they oh also, God. there's a couple other theories about it. One is that um, because bananas tend to spoil quickly, if you didn't get to your destination quick enough, you like they would start to ferment and it would produce a deadly toxic fume oh, in the storage hole. And then the other theory was that wherever they were shipping bananas from, there was like this deadly spider that would often get like into the oh. banana shipment. And if it bit a crewman, they would die. So just in general. That's uh, a good reason. And I guess some people take it to the extreme and like wearing banana flavored suntan lotion. Like anything banana <laughs> is like bad luck on a, a shirt on with a the bananas on it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then, um, so we know women are supposed to be bad luck. And the main reason for that is just that they think they'll be distracting and cause jealousy oh, on board and whatnot. But actually naked women are <laughs> supposed to calm the sea, which is why a lot of times, uh, you know, the, what's it called? The, the thing you have on the front of the ship. Oh, the like head, on the prow. Yeah. The mask. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times that will be a topless woman because she's supposed to calm the sea. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I always thought it was a mermaid that was on there. Maybe it is, but I didn't know that's why that she was always shown topless. Well, even a mermaid, it's a topless mermaid, you know, so it's the, <laughs> but, um, and also, so even though it, you weren't really supposed to bring women on board there, the phrase son of a gun came from if a woman gave birth on board a ship like the Mm -hmm. most the best place for her to do so was on deck but like something about like basically in the gun room is where if there was a woman on board a baby might have been conceived um so that's where the phrase son of a gun came from (laughs) and even though yeah again you weren't supposed to have the baby on board i mean you weren't supposed to bring a woman on board a male child on board was supposed to be a sign of good luck so having a like a boy. If a boy there would be good. Okay. Um, and there's a few others. Some that you know the phrase "red sky at night, sailors delight." Red sky in the yeah. morning, sailors take warning. So a red sunrise is supposed to indicate rain or bad weather up ahead. If you whistle the phrase "whistle up a storm," they thought that would call a storm. So it was bad luck to whistle on a boat, and they oh. thought clapping would encourage thunder and lightning. <laughs> there were also like a lot of bad luck days to sail on. So the first oh. Monday in April, you're not supposed to sail. The okay. second Monday in August, you're not supposed to sail. And then Thursdays, because it's Thor's Day, oh. and Fridays, because of um, Jesus Christ's crucifixion, were all supposed to be bad days to sail. 
So you were only really supposed to set sail on Sunday. That was the most lucky day. The Lord's Day. That makes sense, I guess. A blessed journey. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, and you're not supposed to change the name of a boat. So once your boat has been named and christened, it's like part of its identity. And if you want to change the name, you have to do a whole denaming ceremony. Oh my gosh. So to do that, you (laughs) take the current name of the boat, write it down on a piece of paper, fold up the paper, put it in a wooden box, and then burn the (laughs) box and scoop up the ashes and throw them into sea. And then you're allowed to do that. Oh my God. This is like your binding spell all over again yeah and then redheads are supposed to be bad luck also but you can save yourself from their bad luck if you speak to them before they speak to you (laughs) okay and did i ever tell you allison's name if she ever got a boat no what was it our friend allison she has the best idea for a boat so she said if she would got if she ever bought a boat she would name it the never again two (laughs) (laughs) i like it that's clever and then the last one i was gonna say was just um seabirds are thought to carry the souls of dead sailors so it's bad luck to kill them but good luck to see them when you're out at sea like seagulls and stuff like that yep and the albatross yep next time i see a seagull i will bear that in mind don't kill it (laughs) i will although sometimes you're really tempted they won't hold a grudge like crows but (laughs) oh that's really cool that's all right so i researched ships too but i didn't research the same stuff so we're good okay tell me something you learned so I really liked, um, you know how you mentioned in the beginning how Lila, her nickname was the Saros, and it was like a phantom that was said to haunt ships? Yep. So I really wanted to research haunted phantoms ships. that haunted ships. Oh my goodness. And it, <laughs> of course I did. And it took me down a path of researching ghost ships. Okay. And like ships that are said to haunt the high seas. And then that took me down a path of people uncovering really weird um, shipwrecks or or ships that were completely empty and they don't know why. Okay, I want to hear more. Some of these are really good. I was telling them to Chad because we were driving home to Pittsburgh this week and I was like doing research in the car and I was telling him about these and he was just like, this is wild. (laughs) (laughs) He really liked it. So, um, okay, this is kind of interesting. So there was a ship called the Lady Lovey Bond. The, the lady what? Love-a-bond. Love-a-bond. Okay. I like and the name. It's a great name. Um, so in 1748, it was the day before Valentine's Day, and the ship launched as part of a celebration because ship's captain was getting married. It was Captain Simon Reed, and he brought his wife, Annetta, on board, and they were going to do this like cruise as part of their wedding. But the captain's best friend and first mate, a man named John Rivers, was in love with the captain's new wife. Of course. And yeah, and he um, kind of made advances to her when they were on the boat. And when she rejected them, he deliberately steered the ship into the Goodwin Sands in the English Channel. Okay. So he hit a crew member who was at the wheel. He hit him with a belaying pin and Ouch. Um, took over the wheel and he steered the ship into, he purposely crashed the ship out of vengeance. He sunk it. Everyone on board was killed. Okay. You you know how they say like women are like too emotional? Like there's like these sayings that like women can't make. I feel like men who get scorned by women are way worse. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is there anything worse? My gosh, guys. You're married to my best friend and you didn't like that I was coming on to you. I'm going to kill everyone on board this ship on purpose. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, just get over it. She's not interested. 
<laughs> find a new girl. Yeah. So then they say every 50 years since then, this ship appears around the area where it was sunk. And they said every 50 years, someone has seen it. So in 1798, in 1848, in 1898, everyone, this boat has been seen. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I guess like the last 50 year anniversary went by and no one saw it. So they're kind of wondering if the ship's curse has been lifted somehow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Does anything happen to the people who see it? Like, No, I don't think so. Okay. It's just they've, like, sailors have seen it floating, and then when they get nearer, it's gone. Okay, gotcha. So it's like a ghost ship. Okay, and then there's so many good ones. Okay, the other one is called the Octavius, and in 1775... There was a whaling ship found this boat called the Octavius and it was drifting off the coast of Greenland. And what they think happened was that a storm... So the ship was... The Octavius was um, supposed to have left England um, and it it was sailing for Asia and it went through the Northwest Passage, which is a really notoriously dangerous passage. And so they think that what happened was a storm hit suddenly and it caught all the sailors unawares because when they found this boat and boarded it, everyone on board, so all 28 sailors were frozen. Oh, wow. And they were just completely, perfectly preserved from the cold. And the ship's captain was found sitting at his desk with a logbook in front of him and he was like in the process of finishing a journal entry and it was dated 1762 so the boat had been frozen for 13 years before they found it oh and it was just my goodness yeah and everyone was just like perfectly in place like where they were when this storm hit i can't even imagine that like there was so even if they knew the storm was coming it sounds like they couldn't have done anything if every single person was frozen that bad like there was no one below deck somewhere that was safe yeah i don't think so and it, and it, the the like sad thing is is that eventually when it was c- drifting it made it through the northwest passage and like completed its yeah journey. the ship was fine <laughs> yeah but no one on board was it's oh, so man. sad um and then the, okay the last one that i'll tell you about was the orang the orang medan okay so this was in 1947 and oh this is terrifying so there were two american vessels they picked up a distress call from a dutch merchant ship and the distress call just said sos from orang we float all officers including captain dead probably whole of crew dead and then there was a series of really confused dots and dashes that came through and then finally he typed out i die and then the signal was lost. Oh my goodness. I know. And so when these when the um, rescue boat located and boarded the ship, they found the ship completely undamaged, but everyone on board was dead, including the body of a dog, and all the corpses were on their backs, and their mouths were wide open, and their eyes were open, and they were staring, and they were just staring, and um, their faces were just frozen in this like expression of horror, and all of their faces were turned towards the sky. Which was like a horrifying way to discover anyone. So do they and know so, why they were dead? What killed yeah, them? they okay. think, so here's they think what happened. They think, so as they were trying to figure out what happened, a fire broke out on the ship and they had to evacuate it and eventually the ship exploded and then it sunk. And so the theory is they think this boat was smuggling um, chemicals, like chemical substances, and they think it may have been potassium cyanide or nitroglycerin or even, they were thinking maybe nerve gas. Uh, Mm. from like you know from wartime stocks and they think that when seawater got into the hold it reacted with these chemicals and it released these toxic gases which would have killed them oh my goodness i know so that was just so scary but this is oh this was from marineinsight.com and livescience.com those were my ghost ship stories 
it was so terrifying to read about because like how scary would it be to just see a a ship just floating in the middle of the ocean and just completely empty and like you have no idea what happened and and I mean some of the other ones I read about they have theories that are so far-fetched like alien invasion or like a giant squid or you know deadly water spouts and some of them are just completely unsolved it's just it's also crazy though to think about I mean there's so many ships that have gone missing since people started going out to sea because mm-hmm. we also think about like how big the ocean is and how little we know about it mm, and, oh, you yeah. know I don't know it's just kind of crazy to like we may discover stuff 13 years or hundreds of years later or whatever but <laughs> You know, it's really not so. Um, so I did a little bit of research on how to survive a sinking ship. Oh, I'm curious about that. Um, this is boaterexam.com. <laughs> okay. Is it kind of like Titanic where you have to like climb up to the highest point and then take a deep breath and the ship sucks you down? No, I didn't even go into most of that. But um, oh, okay. it gives you like a list of what you should have in your survival kit. So you should have a compass, a flashlight, waterproof matches, a knife, sunscreen lotion, fresh water, <laughs> a mirror for signaling, flares a first aid kit, and some food rations. That's a lot to carry if you're swimming in an ocean. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> I'll just hold that all above my head and tread water for five hours. Sure. It, that's, it, tells that's you, it tells you how to do calming breaths. So, <laughs> uh, Some essential oils, maybe some lavender essential oil. <laughs> you're supposed to inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds. So it's the cycle that you're supposed to do to calm yourself. Okay. Um, and they were talking about how rats are usually the first indicator that a ship is going down because um, oftentimes they're hanging out in like the lowest parts of the ship. So when it starts to take on water, they'll go and abandon ship. So that's like mm-hmm. kind of your first sign. Of course, the rats then jump into the water and drown anyways, but They okay. jump into the water and drown? I think so. I think they uh, go and plunge into the ocean, but you'll wow. see them scurrying up. But so the, if you see rats, a lot of rats coming, I guess you're supposed to get on deck as fast as you can. Okay. Good start. And then <laughs> With your survival kit. <laughs> another indicator that it might it might be time to abandon ship is if it stops rocking. So if you're on if you're floating oh. on top of the water, you'll be like rocking, but as you start to take on water, you kind of sink in and fill with water and it's like a weight so you don't rock the same way. <laughs> okay. If you have to call for help, this is what you should say. <laughs> Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. This is your name on the vessel name. You say the vessel name three times. Okay. Call sign, whatever the call sign is. Then you're supposed to release the microphone button momentarily to ensure the channel is clear. And then you press it again and you say, Mayday, the vessel its name is located give its position speed and bearing oh gosh we are a describe the ship experiencing whatever the distress signal is and in need of immediate assistance so hopefully you'll remember all that know the current position speed and bearing of your <laughs> ship and the call sign and the number of times you're supposed to say the yeah. ship's name <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not gonna then happen say, you should find a life jacket and a lifeboat so um, just so you know, the longer you stay aboard, the lower your chances of survival are. And if the you get... The longer you stay on board? Yeah, the lower your chances of survival. So you want to oh, get into wow. the... Li- if it's going... If the boat is sinking, you want to get onto the life... You want to be the first... You want to get on the lifeboat quick before we oh, run out okay. of spots, I guess. That, you know, that makes sense. And if you don't get into a life raft, your odds of survival drop as much as 70%. Oh my god. <laughs> they, they said, it has been noted that a man's willingness to let the ladies go first decreases as the speed of the sinking ship increases <laughs> yeah i mean i can't blame them that self-preservation is pretty strong and just for some notes so the titanic took two hours and 40 minutes to plunge into the water but the Lu- Lusitania is that the one the german ship oh the lusitania 
Yeah, it sank in 18 minutes. So just keep in mind. You don't have a lot of time to like figure that stuff out. 18 minutes. Yep. That's terrifying. So once you're in the lifeboat, you should continue to remain calm. So remember your four-second breathing exercise. (laughs) You should make sure to protect your skin from the sun. That's why that sunscreen is important in your survival kit. Uh, You should drink fresh water sparingly. And whenever it rains, you should try to capture as much water as you can because dehydration is one of the no you know, biggest threats and also just like being on the ocean and alone and feeling hopeless can make people like lose their minds so you should try to oh. occupy yourself with conversation singing or games oh because you feel like singing right when your <laughs> ship crashed and sunk and you're in a boat with five strangers who would probably eat you in a moment's notice yeah and if you if the water is cold if you didn't make it into a life vest that's the worst case scenario and the water is cold your system will suffer from different degrees of shock and it'll become harder and harder for you to tread water and stay afloat oh we learned about that in red rising yeah and so they say swim away from the boat so as to avoid the propeller and i guess so what you were saying about the ship pulling you under Mythbusters said the ship pulling you under is a myth but actual survivors say it still happens so it's still just advised to get away from the boat and mm-hmm. if you don't have anything to float with you can take your pants off tie knots at the bottom of each pant leg hold your pants in the air and then yank them downwards into the water while they'll collect some air Oh, okay. And use that as a pretty flimsy floating device. Wow. So I feel like this boat, I mean, this uh, guy did not inspire a lot of confidence for me, but... uh... Well, I'm going on a cruise (laughs) in March, so... Make sure you know where the lifeboats are. I'm going to keep all of this in mind. I'm going to tell Chad. Make sure you wear pants just in case the boat goes down (laughs) and you don't have a life vest. And I need a last minute flotation device. Yep. (laughs) Well, Katie, I think you may have just saved someone's life if they're listening to this show. (laughs) Also, so different flare colors, just so you know. (laughs) Red is the distress flare color that should only be used in the case of an emergency where immediate assistance is required. Mm -hmm. So it's actually illegal to light it or fire it. Um, If you're not in distress. Yeah, for no reason. And red is supposed to be used at night because that's when it's most visible. But then there's also an orange distress flare, which has the same meaning, but it's supposed to be easier to see during the daylight. And then white flares help to just alert people of your position so that they don't hit you. And it also can be used if there's a man overboard situation at night. All right. Just fun things about different colors. That's good to know. (laughs) And don't forget your mayday, mayday call. That was good research. Well, I also, I was kind of interested more in privateers and like, because there was a lot of talk about the difference between pirates and privateers, but even though they essentially do the same thing, it's like one's legal and one's not. Yeah, right. Um, Because Alucard is like technically under the protection of the Marish throne. Yeah, but but I was kind of curious, like if a different, so like just kind of how that works, if he attacks an enemy, like, you know, what the rules are for that kind of thing. Okay. (laughs) But um, it started back in like, the 16th to 18th centuries is when it was most popular, and it was Henry III of England who granted the first letter of reprisal. Okay. So a lot of kind of famous commanders that you might think of as pirates were actually privateers, but oh. it was abolished by the Declaration of Paris in 1856. So um, before that, anyone who owned a vessel could attack another hostile nation's vessel if they had a letter of marquee, which was essentially like a 
authorization from their government that they were a privateer. Okay. But in 1856, the U.S., Spain, Mexico, and Venezuela did not agree to the declaration. And the U.S. Constitution actually gave Congress the power to issue letters of marquee to make privateers. Just a heads up. So we were allowed to do that. I think the American Civil War was when the Congress authorized the president to commission privateering, but it was never exercised, although the Confederacy did use privateering during that time. And what would they do exactly? The privateers? Yeah. Essentially kind of what they're doing right now. So in a time of war, they were allowed to attack boats from hostile nations, Mm -hmm. and they would essentially split the bounty, they'd give a fraction of it back to the government and they could keep a fraction of it. Okay, so, so kind of what they did at the beginning when Lila took the copper key, copper thief and like led Alucard to the ship so they could like plunder it. Yep. Okay. And a lot of times that was their only form of payment was whatever they got from plundering. So it wasn't like uh... they were paid in general. They were only paid from a percentage of what they caught or gotcha. captured or whatever. And it was really big back before, like, countries had big navies or four countries that didn't have big navies before. Although, Mm -hmm. um, and there was also some talk about how there was, like, uh, in 1922 to 1923, there was regulation for aircraft to, like, essentially not create privateers in aerial warfare. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I never really thought about, like, pirates of the air. (laughs) But there's How does that even work? (laughs) Oh, you would just, like, shoot down an enemy plane. Yeah, instead of having, like, an air force, you would be, like, a, you know, have permission from your government to shoot down enemy planes but that is not allowed (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i just thought it was kind of interesting i could have done more research but a lot of things i went into they just like were trying to tell me the difference between a private or a pirate and a privateer but uh it seems like there is a a bit of a fine line (laughs) yeah and it also it kind of reminded me of the I can't remember her name, that famous pirate lady we talked about last oh, yeah. time who was like a famous pirate and then basically the Chinese government or whatever was like, hey, will you come work for us instead yeah. and like get our enemies? Um, so I think there it kind of is sort of this fine line. And even some privateers would be caught and sentenced for committing acts of piracy okay. if they were caught by like an enemy nation or whatever. And just because you were um, a letter of marquee, you weren't supposed to be treated as a prisoner of war by international law if you oh. had that, but... That wasn't always respected, so. And I think it was on both sides, too. Like, if a privateer was out and about, they wouldn't, kind of what happened in the book, they wouldn't necessarily look like they belonged to a nation. So they would act like, it would be hard to tell if someone was attacking you if it was pirates or a privateer. Mm -hmm. And then even some pirates would try to claim that they were privateers to avoid, you know, if they were being chased or captured or whatever. Yep. Kind of interesting. Does this make you want to be a pirate more or less? Privateer. Let's say we're privateers. <laughs> I like that. All makes me want to be one more. But your stories about being <laughs> frozen and whatnot and chemical. I don't know. Now I'm reconsidering a little bit. <laughs> and also, I would for sure probably go crazy on a boat after a little bit of time. I. I mean, it depends on the people you're with, right? If you've got like a really cool crew and you're all friends, that's one thing. But. I mean, if you're stuck on a boat with a bunch of idiots. Yeah. And I guess if I have if I have a little bit of space that's my own, we stop in interesting enough places now and again, and there's good people to talk to or books to read, and it's not just like staring <laughs> at the ocean all the time, I could maybe get on board. I would like to be on a ship that's like an exploration ship where you go and you study animals on different islands. Like the HMS Beagle. I want to do what Charles Darwin did. That would be cool. I also think as long... 
I just don't think I want to, like, cross the ocean and, like, see nothing for a really long time. Like, I wouldn't mind going along yeah. a coast and, like, stop, you know, like, being in cool places and, like, spending most of my time on a boat. But I don't really want to be, like, in the middle of the ocean with nothing to see. See, I think that'd be really cool because I think you would see really strange stuff. Because, like, we don't know, we don't know what is under a lot of the ocean, you know? Like, we haven't explored a lot I think of it. it also just scares me I'm like so nervous it's about terrifying. like yeah because I mean think about I bet there's I bet sailors have seen stuff that you just cannot explain but no one believes them because it's like well did you really see that or were you just going a little bit stir crazy because you've been on a boat for so long but like if there is a stranger world let's say out there I'm sure the only people who have seen it are sailors <laughs> I would 100% agree with that, yeah. It's like, the ocean has always been one of those things that fascinates and terrifies me at the same time. Like For sure. Like, I've, I was a member of Shedd Aquarium, like, the entire time I was in Chicago. Like, I love everything with fish and, like, learning about it, and I'm scuba certified, but I still, like, get so... I, when I was little, <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, but I used to talk to the ocean a lot. <laughs> I just remember my cousin and I, when we went to the beach, it wouldn't talk back. I just felt like I needed to talk to it so it would know that I, like, respected it and wouldn't (laughs) turn on me. Because we'd go, we had, like, boogie boards, you know, and we'd, like, be out, like, catching waves on the ocean. Yeah. And we we used to, like, go under the waves and, like, shout into the ocean, like, things like, bring us a good wave and stuff like that. But then I'd also, like, almost, like, prayerfully, like, talk to the ocean about how I, like, respected it and, like... (laughs) I've, like, always just had, like, this fascination and fear of the ocean. I don't know. That's so adorable. <laughs> I kind of forgot about it until just now, but, yeah. That's funny. That reminds me of, I, so I have a friend, and she's, like, convinced that the basement is, is really haunted. And um, she was getting work done on the basement. And the first thing I thought of, I was like, oh, my gosh, what is that ghost going to do? And she was like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about it. And oh. she got really nervous because she was like, I bet they're going to disrupt the ghosts. So she had this work done and she the entire time had been like hearing weird noises and you know the stuff that she usually hears down there which is why she thinks it's haunted and then she was down there like getting laundry out of the laundry machine and there was um a table sleeve like you know how you have inserts for tables to make them bigger one of them was leaning against the wall and it fell over and terrified her like it made the loudest sound and she jumped and she (laughs) turned around and she started telling off the ghost and she was like you know what that scared me and that was too much she was like (laughs) and then she goes I don't mind you being here I'm fine with you staying here but I don't like to be scared and that was too much so if you're gonna stay here you have to stop doing that or you have to leave (laughs) and then she said it has been quiet ever since I love it I think I I mean it's one of those things where it's like better safe than sorry sometimes with some of this stuff like I think that's like I'm superstitious in the sense that not that I like believe a lot of things but I'd like like just in case (laughs) would rather be on the safe side (laughs) well I'm interested to see if we see any more of them on the ship but I'm really actually looking forward to the element games more than anything I'm so excited and I'm like, I'm still kind of confused by like what they actually do. Like it's magical duels, but people don't die very often. But like, yeah, you know, like just it's kind of an interesting. And I also thought it was really interesting to think about the history and how it like plays a role in the diplomacy between yeah. the different nations and how it's like their chance to show off their wealth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Olympic Games a little bit where it's like the, com- the country who hosts has these opening ceremonies and they're meant to be just like this lavish show of, I don't know, yeah, history and culture, but also just like trying to be as spectacular as possible yeah i love it yeah and now kel's competing i know i'm still kind of confused about how he's gonna 
get away with that and like how many rules he's breaking because part of me is like why shouldn't he compete if he's like the best magician around anyways well, cuz he's the i mean because they don't want him most, to die they don't know who win no i think it's more like it's unfair because he is the most powerful magician so it wouldn't be a fair fight and he'd be guaranteed to win and that's not really exciting for a public games. Okay. I thought they were like afraid. I thought they couldn't afford like anything happening to him. I thought it was more of that kind of Well, thing. that probably too, especially now that the king and queen know that Rai's life is tied to his. I feel like if they find out he's competing, they will not be happy. Yeah. And if anyone else finds out he's competing, he's he was like, yeah, this could start a war if anyone... Yeah. I know, like, I don't really get the, like, what, like, how they're going to pull this off. Because isn't he supposed to be like watching the games? Yep. <laughs> and, like, I get that he's wearing a helmet, but isn't there a chance that that could come? Or, like, even if he wins, do they not, like, reveal who the person is? Like, I, I just, like, feel like it, um, I feel like it could go very wrong. It might not stay a secret, so. I agree. I'm very nervous. <laughs> and do you think Lila's going to get a chance to play? Because it seems like that's what she wants to do, but it sounds like the list is already out. Well, especially when she got the... Well, she got the mask redone by Kawa because I feel like I feel like she wants to compete, but I'm just I don't know if I'm more nervous for Lila or if I'm more nervous for Cal. Yeah. Well, Lila definitely. I mean, she has some like there's more to her still than we realize, yeah. but she's still so new to her power, and I don't get how she's gonna get on the list. That's yeah. I'm I agree. I'm very confused about that. But I'm also curious to see how the different nations, because they kind of said they, you know, they had different relationships with magic or use magic differently. I'm curious to see how like the nation versus nation duels go. I think those will be really Mm -hmm. interesting. And like their styles of fighting. Mm -hmm. And when we're going to, when we're going to figure out that white London is coming back to life and gray London's coming, you know, like when that's that's going to. Over there in the background. I'm just, I just don't know if it's worth it. Like part of me was just like, yeah, I understand that you're restless, Kel, and like you need to let off some steam, but isn't there like a less risky way you could do that i know you know yeah and like lying to their guards it just feels it's making me feel nervous because i don't like i don't like breaking the rules i know and the fact that they're tied together and the fact that there's some weird history Mm -hmm. between him and some of the other competitors but I'm, I also don't really even know what to expect because we've never seen the games. I know. I'm kind of, I don't know. It kind of really does remind me of the Triwizard Tournament. And I'm wondering if it's going to be like that. Like they'll have to do some kind of challenge or if it's really just two people fighting each other one-on-one or, you know, dueling it. I read an interview with the Ishwab where she talked about, she said it was one of the most fun things to write in this book was the tournament. And Ooh. she said, the series for me is like Harry Potter meets Avatar The Last Airbender. And this was my Avatar Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> nice. So that's what I'm imagining. And she said she got to create kind of rock stars of the magical world. So I think it'll also be cool to kind of see these other famous competitors and like, mm-hmm. you know, how they, I don't know, like the person who won last year. And, Kissimere. Yeah. And I'm also curious about that female pirate captain we saw. Like there's been kind of some interesting secondary characters introduced that we haven't really seen yet that I'm curious to see. What role Agreed. They play They're in the like trickling book, in. Through the second half. Oh, okay. Do you want to keep reading? Yes, I do. So you have to tell me a joke this week. Okay. This week is Thanksgiving week, although when we posted it will have been the previous week, but whatever. That's my inspiration for the joke this week. Okay. So why did the turkey cross the road? It was the chicken's day off. It was Thanksgiving day, so he wanted people to think he was a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> It's not very good. You kind of had the right idea, though. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder if I actually got a joke this week. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh, wait, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you have um, mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving? Of course. I'm in charge okay, of making I did- them. 
I didn't know that was a Thanksgiving thing. What? We've never done mashed potatoes. What do you do? We do, we have rice. We have white no. rice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't, and I didn't even know that was weird. It was like one of the, you know how you like you. Yeah, you grow up doing it. Don't realize how weird your family is. Yeah. So I th- like, we've never had mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. And I love mashed potatoes. We eat them all the time, but just not at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. You're really missing out. Like our gravy, you know, what we eat gravy on is... Is rice? White rice. Yeah. Oh, that's so I don't even know where that came from. Like, what part of my... You have to ask your family and report back. I mean, it came from my mom's side, but we don't know why, like, why that, you know. Huh. I've asked. I was like, did you guys know this was weird? And everyone was like, yeah, we knew that was weird. I was like, oh. <laughs> I thought it was just normal. <laughs> I, like, made fun of someone for mentioning mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Oh, no. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Well, go have some mashed potatoes. Bring it. Bring the tradition back into your family. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. I'm thankful for all we've done this year with our podcast and everyone oh. who's been so supportive of it. And I'm excited. That's Yeah, that is actually a really nice thing to be thankful for. I'm thankful that we had a goal and we made it happen. And we've been doing it consistently. And for all the YA authors out there who write good books. <laughs> oh, thank you. We are so thankful. What did we ever do to deserve all of you? <laughs> we just want more short stories. And <laughs> I'm thankful for YA in my life. Yes. Oh, you know what else I'm thankful for that what? we haven't talked about yet? And I was like, so mad that we forgot to talk about this last week. I'm very thankful for Taylor Swift's new album. I'm staring at it right now. I almost said something at the beginning. But yes, I am too. I I didn't love it at first, but now I like love everything about it. <laughs> I same here. I at first I was lukewarm and but like the very first time I listened to the songs and then I listened to it again and again and I think this might be my favorite album. Yeah, I love it so much. I think just because it like sounds like when I didn't listen listen when I just heard it, it just sounded so different. I was like, eh, I'm not really into this. Mm-hmm. But then I like yep. listened to the words and the lyrics and everything and I was like, Oh, I actually am a huge fan. <laughs> What's your favorite song? <laughs> oh, I can't even pick. Uh, all right top just name all your favorite songs (laughs) i feel like i'm just gonna name them all i really like getaway car i really like same here king of my heart i love that one um i love that one i really like this is why we can't have nice things or whatever the name of that one is yeah i laughed out loud at my desk really loudly (laughs) the first time i heard that one i still love new year's day that reminds me of the most like old school taylor though song on the album yeah um my cousin actually is getting married on new year's eve oh how cool this year I know, and as soon as I heard that song, I texted her, and I was like, you have to play this. Yeah. Because, like, the wedding's going until 2 a.m., so, like, we'll celebrate midnight, and I was like, this has to be the last song you play, or, like, at least do a slow dance after midnight. And then I was listening to it, and then I was crying, (laughs) and I, like, couldn't stop crying, and so I was like, I have to stop listening to this song. Well, it's so funny. So my sister is down in Haiti, as anyone who listens to this knows by now, but she wasn't able to download it on iTunes because I think we have, like, a family account, and my other sister, I don't know, something weird, so she hasn't been able to listen to it, but she's just been listening to, like, the snippet from iTunes of the song. Oh, (laughs) So my dad's going down for Thanksgiving, so I'm sending a copy of the CD down for her. But um, oh, that's she, nice, very nice. She's like of only you. been able to listen. She's like, oh, I think this one might be my favorite, but she like hasn't even heard more than whatever 15 20 seconds. seconds or whatever. Yeah, I really like "Don't Blame Me." Oh, and I, like that I did one something too. bad. So the song "I Did Something Bad" reminds me of Adelina from The Young Elite. It reminds me too. I actually <laughs> was thinking about that when I was listening to it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then why does it feel so good? Because she's just like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so everyone go finish the book and listen to T-Swift and <laughs> let us know what you're thankful for. 
And have a happy Thanksgiving. And have a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Eat lots of turkey. Or don't. Whatever you want to do. Or chicken. Eat whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm having Thanksgiving at James's mom's house. My fiance's house, mom's house. Oh, okay. So, so you'll get mashed maybe potatoes. I'll, maybe I'll have mashed potatoes this year. At least I won't embarrass myself by being like, what is this? <laughs> okay. Right. On that note. <laughs> uh, bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.